Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us into God's presence this morning. Thanks, Cam, for a great mix. Ryan, thank you for great lyrics on screen. Devin and Jordan, thank you for capturing this for our friends next week. Well, if you saw me gross sobbing down at the front, it's kind of a fun game. Watch how Pastor Todd is reacting to the worship. Gross sobbing, like if my wife had been here, she would have been hitting me to stop it. When Josh told me that he was going to uh, introduce that song this week, I said, go for it. I almost always say, go for it. He said he wanted to try some tricks with the lighting today. I said, go for it. I'm a go for it kind of guy. I hope that um, as we work through the book of Micah, God speaks to you in such a way that you're empowered to go for it, that you find yourself living a best ever kind of life. The key conceit in this series is that as you connect to Jesus, you connect to living life in a best ever kind of way because Jesus is the best ever. We get this right out of the name for the book of Micah. Micah is short form for Mikael, who is like our God. And of course, the answer is nobody. So as you encounter the singularity that is Jesus, it's my hope that um, he changes your life in an absolutely incredible way. Devin, which is my master for the sake of the people at home? Thanks, buddy. I want to continue to repeat something that I've been saying throughout this series. Micah is a book of prophecy. I spoke to a lot of people when I was jumping into this book who told me not only have they never studied the book of Micah, many have never even read the book of Micah. It's not, you know, on the top 10 list of biblical books. And it's a book of prophecy, and it's really important when you're reading a book of prophecy that you continue to ask yourself two questions. So I will continue to lay these questions in your mind before every sermon <clears throat> so that you are encouraged to ask those questions as we work our way through. Does this passage echo to me today? There's a chance when you're dealing with prophecy that it doesn't echo for you particularly that day. I had someone here last week who sent me an email saying that, you know, the big idea of the sermon wasn't necessarily for them, but there were three or four or five points in the midst of it that kind of came to life in their heart. Prophecy can do that. Does this echo to me today? Second question, if so, how am I to live? It's almost never that a prophetic word comes to somebody and there is no change required. The prophets are always shouting at people to change their ways. So if Micah shouts to you today, know in advance that the word of the Lord is probably shouting at you to change something. With that said, let's jump into Micah 3. <clears throat> humble. Here's the definition for the word humble. Not proud or haughty not arrogance or assertive. This was not a word I was accused of very much in my younger years. You're like, no kidding. <laughs> for whatever it's worth, I was much, much worse 20 years ago. I was always assertive even from a young age. As a young boy, I was bossing people around. I'd walk into a room and take it over even when I was seven. I was constantly getting into trouble at camp. I'd go in and tell the camp director how to run things. I'd listen to the preacher and tell him what he could have done better. I was really, really annoying. Arrogant was a word that was thrown at me all through my teenage years. When my youth pastor asked me when I was 15 what I was called to do, I said, I'm called to preach. 
He looked at me and said, well, I don't share my pulpit. I looked at him and said, well, that's your loss. You're like, whoa, did you really, Pastor Todd? Yeah, I did. Remember, I was 15. Proud. Pride is something that my grandfathers used to talk to me a lot about. Both highly godly men. They would cock one eyebrow at me. I get it from them. You know when Pastor Todd does this? They would say, son, pride is the devil's sin. Humble, not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. Now that definition comes from Merriam-Webster. Because this has been an area in my life where I've had to do a lot of growing and I still continue to work very hard in this area. As I've engaged with the Bible over the years, I have developed my own definition of what I think biblical humility is. So I would disagree with Merriam-Webster and I would say that to be humble means to know your place. To know who you are and who you are not. This definition helps when it comes to dealing with God because you look at God and you say clearly, you are God, I am not. Somebody say amen. If you start there and stay there, you'll have a pretty robust Christian life. You're God, I'm not. That's humble. And it helps when you deal with people, this kind of humility, because you know that in your interpersonal relationships, and you can develop an ability to act this way more and more, but you know that it's not about you. Humility teaches you to come into a relationship thinking, this is not about me. And you'll have seasons in your relationships where they're not difficult. And so you don't have to remind yourself that it's not about you. But for all those of you who have experienced times of difficulty relationally, you know that it comes down to that moment where you have to cross that bridge, cross that Rubicon, and the only way across for the Christian is to say, it's not about me. Because when it's not about you, then and only then do you find yourself enabled to do what you otherwise would not do. It's not about me. To be humble is to know your place. And this is something that the people that Micah was prophesying to um, were really missing. Micah 3. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me... I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Jenny wasn't kidding when she said that Micah is bold. 
Let me point out to you that Micah's prophecy here about the city of Jerusalem came true. In 70 AD, roughly, you know, four or 500 years after Micah was prophesying, it's actually a little more, it's closer to like five, 600 years, the Romans invaded the city of Jerusalem, laid it waste, completely destroyed the temple, cast its stones into the valleys below. When you go to Jerusalem today, you can actually see the stones from the second temple in situ where they have been cast down to the valley below and they are still lying there. They broke the paving stones and collapsed through to the tunnels beneath. You can actually walk through a tunnel underneath part of the stone and then walk along the excavated market street beside the top of the stone. This happened in 70 AD. Jesus also prophesied this in Matthew 24 too, when he said that not one stone of Jerusalem will be left upon the other. Jerusalem in the time of Jesus was a marvel of the world. It would have been impossible for a city like that to be laid waste. In Micah's day, Jerusalem was the power in the region. It was the capital of the kingdom of Judah. To say that a city like that would be wiped out is completely ludicrous. And yet after the Romans laid Jerusalem waste, they changed its name from Jerusalem to Aelia Capitolina, and for hundreds of years it lay barren, and the mountain of the house of the Lord did become a field. It was a field up into Ottoman times. The word of the Lord is to be taken seriously. And who is Micah prophesying to here? He's prophesying to oppressive leaders and self-interested prophets. And you may be thinking, I'm not a leader, I'm not a prophet. But if you have ever thrown your weight around in any kind of context, be it at work, in relationships, you know what this is like when you throw your weight around? If you have ever thrown your weight around, if you have ever worked exclusively for your own self-interest, then Micah's warnings in chapter 3 are for you. They're for you. First warning, make sure that you know what's right and don't get it twisted. I get this out of verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who devise wickedness and who work evil. Sorry, that's chapter 2. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Here it is. Is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people and their flesh from their bones? He's warning people who hate good and love evil, who twist things and turn them on their head. Is it not for you to know justice? You're supposed to know what is right. If you want to live a best ever kind of life, it's a life that knows what is right. And it's not enough just to know what is right. You must do what is right. Here's the thing about knowing what is right. Most of us know what is right most of the time without working very much at all. Typically, you can just go quiet for a second, ask yourself the question in your mind, and almost always, you get the answer right away. You know what is right, so do it. I'm thinking of the silly, who's the actor? Shia LaBeouf meme. Just do it. Do it. Check it out if you haven't seen it. It's pretty funny. Just do it. Know what's right, and then do it. That is humble leadership. And then second warning, stay connected to God by quitting working at being evil. This comes to us out of verse 4. Look what happens in verse 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. I want you to note here that God hides his face. Why? Because his people have made their deeds evil. If you have ever felt abandoned by God, I want you to ask yourself the question, have I made my deeds evil? We're talking here about more than just garden variety sinfulness, the kind of thing we inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
the sin nature that all of us struggle with. We're talking about a step beyond that here where we make our deeds evil. We work at being evil. Some of you, I'm sure, like me, have read biographies of evil people or evil regimes. I'll never forget the first time I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I think I was 12. And it struck me that that regime did not become just hyper evil overnight. But there were seeds of wickedness sown in the hearts of the leaders of that regime over the course of years. And they had to work and work and work and work and work to gain the ascendancy in what would become Nazi Germany. Here, I say this because the same is true in our hearts. Receive it. Evil is not born overnight. Okay, you have to work at it. I was so deeply troubled by the biography of Steve Jobs that came out several years ago. I literally finished that biography and sat in mourning in my house for at least 15 minutes. So shattered by what seemed to me to be a clearly evil legacy that this man has left. I'll never forget discovering the Koch brothers and digging into the legacy that they have wrought here in North America. I have former megachurch pastor friends who I saw begin to throw their weight around in a way that was ultimately evil. And this did not happen overnight. It happened over time. You have to work at being evil. Evil takes work. And here's what I want you to take from this point today. God may be the friend of sinners, but he ain't got no evil friends. There's a difference between sin and evil. God ain't got no evil friends. So if you feel like God is hiding, here's where Pastor Todd gets to pretend he's the prophet, repent. Nine times out of ten in my pastoral years, when I run into somebody who feels like God is absent, it's because sin is much too present. Somebody say amen in this house. Have you ever seen this? Nine times out of ten. So if you feel like God is hiding, repent. And then warning number three, keep it real and flee self-interest. I get this out of verse five. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Peace, peace. If you give me a nice meal, I'll run into difficulty with my friend Jared. I better make sure I eat well before Sunday so that the genius of his culinary art is not echoing in my heart in a way that corrupts my preaching. Peace, peace, when you have something to eat, but you declare war against those who put nothing in your mouth. Micah here is railing against prophecy for prophets. I just want to remind you that the word of the Lord is not primarily meant to make you feel comfortable. It's not primarily meant to make you feel happy. It's not primarily meant to make your life easy. The word of the Lord is meant to cut. The word of the Lord is meant to convict. The word of the Lord is meant to transform. And the word of the Lord, yes, is meant to comfort. This is why I always like to say, I hope my preaching is an uppercut and a hug at the same time. That's what I consider to be prophetic Bible preaching about Jesus. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Peace piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. 
That'll change your whole life right there. Sit and meditate for a moment on the vastness of God and his universe and then draw that into the thought that you will one day stand before him to give an account. Remind yourself in that moment that our God is like a consuming fire. And so think that the day will come when you have to bow the knee before that consuming fire who framed the cosmos and give an account to him of all your deeds. You better be able to point to Jesus in that moment, dear friends. Here's the point. Sometimes you need to cry trouble, not peace. You may come to a moment in your life when someone needs to say, trouble! And you need to hear the word of the Lord and respond accordingly. For the love of God also while we're on it, let's stop acting from exclusive self-interest. You feed me good, I'll give you that good word. You may not be a prophet, but you serve the Lord of the prophets, and so it's on you to keep it real and free from self-interest as much as you can. And I acknowledge that this is the work of a lifetime. So you should be tracking your trajectory. You should be becoming less self-interested over time, not more. And if you see the seeds of less and less self-interest coming to life in your life, you're good. Just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And then warning number four, um, you'll be able to avoid the brutal consequences of disconnection if you do these things. This comes out of verses six through seven. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners be put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. Let me see if I, um, yeah, I emphasize the words. This is fun. So let's just notice these words here in verses six through seven. The first word I want you to notice, this is kind of good. I'm training you how to work with these texts. I'm going to keep doing this, including the emphasis. Night is emphasized. Without vision is in italics. Darkness is emphasized. Without divination is in italics. Disgraced is all caps. Shame is all caps. Cover their lips is in bold. Cover their lips mean muffled. They will muffle themselves. So these prophets who are used to declaring the word of the Lord will muffle themselves. They will be unable to do that thing that God has called and gifted them to do. They will cover their lips. Why? In italics. For there is no answer from God. But as for me, ooh, we'll come to that in just a minute. Think about those things. Darkness. Lack of vision. Bleakness. Disgrace. I kept thinking of my... Um, Italian grandparents-in-law who are now with the Lord, Nikki's nonna and nonno. And they would always say disgrace, disgraziare, disgraziare, disgrace, shame, the inability to do what you've been made to do, left to your own devices. Does this or does this not sound like much of the life experience of many of the people you know? Should I hit the words again real quick, just one time? Because maybe this is you. Darkness, lack of vision, bleakness, disgrace, disgraziare, shame, the inability to do what you've been made to do and being left to your own devices. God help us. How many people do you know who feel profoundly alone? You don't have to live that way. Hope you're smiling behind those masks. 
<laughs> Enter the Christian genius. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live in darkness. You don't have to live with no vision. You don't have to live in bleakness. You don't have to live in disgrace. You don't have to live in shame. You can do, receive it, what God has called and gifted and, yea, anointed you to do. You have not been left to your own devices. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. Why? Because of Jesus. Because God the Son made flesh, went to a Roman cross where he suffered and died in your place for your sin. He has dealt with it once and for all. This is God we're talking about here, the framer of the cosmos. That's why he was big enough to take the sin of the world. And this is God we're talking about here, the framer of the cosmos. That's why one grave could not hold him. And he arose again the third day, defeating the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell in his body once and for all. That's why, because of Jesus, that Micah's testimony can be yours. Look at his testimony as we close here in verse 8. And band, you can join me because I'm almost done. Hear his testimony and know that this testimony can... Somebody shout in this house. His testimony can be your testimony because of Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, this might as well be you speaking here in verse 8. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You need to live a but as for me kind of life. Joshua, don't let me pressure you, but I was thinking if we could sing Carrie's song again as we close, that might be really epic. But you decide. Filled with power. Filled with the Spirit of God, with justice and might to declare the truth about sin and salvation. Let me tell you these words in Hebrew real quick. Filled with power. Maletikoch. Koch is the word for strength, power. Maleti is the word for more and more, lots and lots. I told you about this several years ago. When you order a falafel in Jerusalem and they say, do you want more hummus? You say, male, male. Male, male, lots and lots. When they say, do you want more olives? You say, male, male. Church, <laughs> when you need more grace, you say, male, male. Male, male, when you need more strength, you say, male. How much strength do you have? Male, 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 male koach, male tikoach. You have been filled up with strength. That's what God does in your life. You have been filled with the ruach, the wind of Yahweh himself. Think about that this week as you struggle through your moments of mundanity. Re receive it. Remember that the Holy Spirit of God is literally blowing through your life in Christ. That's how you get to Christian victory right there. And you've been given this strength and that wind to do what? To tell Jacob of his evil and Israel of his sin. This is, I think, the most important point in the whole sermon. I love this. Let me say this about pointing out sin. We do not point out sin because we want to make people feel bad. Okay? And we have been guilty of this. And in so much as we have been guilty of this, pointing out sin so that people feel bad, we must repent and never do it again. We do not point out sin to make people feel bad. Receive it. We point out sin because sin is bad and people need to be free and Jesus has made a way. 
You can say to your friends, lost in disgraziare, that they do not have to keep living this way. It doesn't have to be this way. You can know what's right and not get it twisted. You can stay connected to God because you've quit working at being evil. You can keep it real and flee self-interest, thereby avoiding the brutal consequences of disconnection. And you can live with power by the Spirit of God working within you in tangible ways with justice and might declaring the truth sometimes even using words because you know who you are and you know what this is about because you my friends are humble thanks for listening to this week's podcast i hope you're leaving feeling encouraged if you have any questions for us or you'd like to pay us a visit you can find all the info you need on our website gracecommunity.ca